We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius and Mike. And we've got the trade deadline coming up on Thursday, so we're going to talk about that. Lakers got whooped in New Orleans. I don't think we're going to talk too much about the game, but I, I do think that they are a team that missing your entire front line is they're particularly equipped to deal with that. Uh, they have weaknesses, but Zion is one of the strongest players in the NBA. Steven Adams is one of the strongest players in, in, in the NBA. And B.I. is one of the longest players in the NBA. And with missing our front court, we just didn't have enough large humans to battle with them. And that said, we did not compete particularly hard. Right. So one of those things is not their fault. One of those things is. But in that context, again, we've got the trade deadline coming up tomorrow. Darius, how much does the current Lakers situation, being without both LeBron and AD for an extended period of time and Mark, you know, coming back from health and safety protocols and kind of getting his conditioning back as Vogel has spoken to, does that change any of the calculus on how the Lakers should approach? The uh, yes and no. It's been a while since I had a yes and no, but depending on how long those guys are going to be out and it could be another two weeks without both LeBron and AD, it could be longer than that. It could be a month or longer without LeBron. There is a sense of needing some reinforcements sooner than later. I don't necessarily have a fear that the Lakers are going to miss the playoffs or anything like that, but dipping into the seventh or eighth seed is a real possibility where they get lumped into the play-in games. And while I have full confidence in a fully healthy Lakers team, I don't think we can assume the Lakers are going to be fully healthy for the rest of this season. 
that's not to say LeBron and AD won't be on the court, right? But they may not be up to the normal standard of what you would expect from them and, and supplementing them in real ways is I think important for this team, whether it's at the trade deadline or through the buyout market potentially. And so I do think the Lakers should be working the phones and trying to find ways to improve their team, um, not only in the short term, but then thinking to the off season and into the following seasons as well. Right. Because the calculus of LeBron and AD health, I think are long-term ideas as well not just short-term ones when you think about lebron being in his 18th season and ad just being a big guy who now has a lower leg injury that could mean like what do we really want for this roster moving forward mike the idea of improving this team though gets tricky and while i don't expect you to dive into like names of specific guys or targets from different teams like what's your general sense on short term versus big picture thinking around this this team be because i know your view is mostly bird's eye when it comes to the lakers yeah i i it's funny because the last Really more the New Orleans game than the Phoenix game, I found myself becoming less bird's eye and more zoomed in and just expecting that this group of guys was going to was going to play a little better and have a little bit more fight and tenacity in a certain way. But I think Kuzma kind of summarized things pretty well after the game. Uh, did you did either of you catch this? I didn't catch Kuz's. No. Yeah. So Kuz basically said, and this is a direct quote, but it's like somewhat paraphrased, but this team was constructed playing off LeBron and Anthony Davis. And he went on, went on to explain that. And of course, last season that resulted in a championship this year, the Lakers were in either first or jockeying with Utah up until the point where they got started to get injured slash fatigued. And that's absolutely the case, right? If, if you, the blueprint for how they run offense for the way that they rotate on defense, all of that is revolving around the two stars as well. It should. Um, and what we've seen though, without both of them is they're really trying to find some direction, especially on offense. Now defense is, is tricky in its own right, just because of personnel that and Marcus all being out, they don't have anything at the rim. And that was painful. That was painfully obvious in the first quarter when New Orleans started five of five at the rim. And that despite being the fact that Frank Vogel had put Devontae Kaycock in just to try and at least get a little bigger. So I, I just think, though, when to now bring the trade deadline conversation into this, it's not like you're going to bring in another star to what to hang out for three weeks uh, or whatever the timeline might end up being. We don't know. Well, maybe it's sooner. Maybe it's later for in LeBron and AD it could be different. So that's not going to happen, right? So they have to just on the fly, get in the film room with Pete uh, and figure out how to play and how to just manage to get wins. And we've gone over some of the concepts, right, uh, in these last couple of weeks. But so I'm not I am not at all, Darius, to answer the question, correlating what can be done in terms of player acquisition or trades or anything. I'm not even thinking about that at all. I'm not worried about when the deadline is. I'm thinking, sure, if a couple of guys present themselves in the buyout market, that that would be great. But I am not thinking about trades and having somebody else come in and then try to figure out something new when you're about to get. LeBron yeah, it's a tricky conversation because while I'm not looking for like a big name acquisition at all, right? The Lakers do not have the ammunition 
for something like that unless they really started to tear down their roster in in a way that beguiles their goals for this year right like there is a balance that rob palinka and the front office needs to strike here and i think they're going to err on the side of when fully healthy we have a team that is built and competitive enough to win the NBA championship. And that should be their focus is, is building back to and getting back to the point where they are fully healthy. That said, a GM's job is to always try to add talent where possible. And um, with a team like the Lakers, Pete, I think that might be more on the margins rather than someone who is going to be a major impact player within the construct of a fully healthy Lakers team, right? So trading around the margins is a trickier conversation. There are more variables that go into that. Almost every single role player that's on the Lakers team is either looked at as a piece for the future or is on a one-year contract, basically, or is a core piece from a team that just won the championship last year. And moving off of any of those guys is sort of a push and pull idea in anyone's mind, right? Especially, I would think, the minds of the people who built the roster in the first place. And so... What is your mindset around some of this stuff? Do you think they need reinforcements now or do you think like they need to ride it out and just play better? I think we're very much in a ride it out type of scenario. I think it's very unlikely we make a, a big trade. I think it's more likely that if we make a deal at the deadline and Polinka uh, historically has been active at the trade deadline. If we do that, I think it's more likely uh, to create a roster spot, right? you know, trade someone at the end of the bench for a conditional second rounder or something like that, right? And participate more in the buyout market, like Mike was saying. I think that's a better, I think this team is well-constructed when it's healthy, and I don't think it needs to be completely healthy, right? And I think that the closer we get to the playoffs without a healthy roster, like I don't think our ceiling is as high as it once was, simply because part of achieving that ceiling or getting close to it is the continuity and building up the, oh, this is how Dennis and AD run their pick and roll. And those two figuring out kind of the, how do we get more lobs out of it? There's all sorts of things like that of how do we play together and that they will not have had a full seasons of familiarity with each other. That said, I still think that this is absolutely a championship caliber roster. And it's more like, no, I was going to say the holds. idea of getting off even small salary at the end of the bench. Like if you could trade an end of the bench guy into a trade exception, for example, the Clippers just did this. And one of the reasons why they did it was to give themselves more space under the hard cap. And there's a bunch of variables that go into the Lakers at the trade deadline that I think are interesting. And one of them is that exact idea, Pete, that you just presented, because the Lakers, I think, are looking at ways to fortify their roster, not necessarily improve it in the big picture, but fortify it in real ways. And one of the ways that you do that is by adding guys through the buyout market, but the Lakers are sort of limited there in how many guys they could even add to via the buyout market because they're up against the hard cap, right? And so they can't just say, yeah, well, we've got two empty roster spots. Let's just add two guys because the math there starts to get a little bit tricky, right? And so it's an interesting thing that the Lakers are navigating right now 
that absolutely the case and the the only like major type of move that i could like the only scenario in which i could see us make a major move and and the reason for this is a major move would have to check a lot of boxes for both us and the other team right it's someone that would have to make us better now and at this point in the season especially with lebron and ad out that's a guess like if we were to make a bigger trade for a player who would be a a, a key part like a starting caliber player then almost certainly Dennis or KCP or Trez would have to go out. And there's a degree of projection that this guy would fit along LeBron and AD in a way that we won't really get to know until the last part of the season when those guys come back. Right. And so there's that, there's the financial concerns with the hard cap being, being part of this, right. We can't do the normal, what's it you can receive 125 percent back in salary can't do that we're, we're hard capped right and so the and then and, and then what are the reasons to trade a, a dennis or a trez in particular like you know maybe there's a scenario where contract extension talks with, with dennis are at an impasse right this is all speculation i don't know any anything about this sort of thing but like it's it's a series of unlikely scenarios we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Areas where the other team would want the type of player, because usually if you're making, if you're a seller at the trade deadline, your team like Houston, for example, right? Where what's attracted to them? It's young players, it's picks, it's things like that, right? So uh, let's take a quick break. But and when we come back, I do want to talk about uh, one element of the roster that I'm concerned with that I do think that either between the trade deadline or the buyout market needs to be addressed that perhaps wasn't the case at the beginning of the season. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions, and now they want to help even more. With a Credit Karma Money Spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. When you use your Credit Karma Money debit card, you can win daily Instant Karma purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Credit Karma Money has already given away over $3 million in instant karma to 50,000 Credit Karma members and counting. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll be automatically entered to win $1 million. Credit Karma Money. Progress starts here. 
Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash win money to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash win money to sign up for free and start winning instant karma. That's creditkarma.com backslash win money. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated, member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. Guys, I'm worried that we can't shoot. I have, (laughs) we talked about KCP in the last show, um, and I I don't know what's what's going on. He was he was rough in the New Orleans game again. Had three points, I think, on one for seven shooting. Um, I am I am concerned that he's going to be there when it matters. And that sounds like really short memory, Mike, because he was there when it mattered not too long ago. But I um, I don't know. We've had this conversation before. It's it's interesting, right? And it goes back to this idea, Mike, that. it, it's something that I learned, I think, in a sociology class when I was in college. And they talked about um, this idea of you've gone to a restaurant your whole life, right? And everything's been great at this restaurant. The food is great. The service has been great. And this is one of your go-to spots. You go once or twice a month. Quick, quick aside, what was your, what was your like, you know, main family's got a, it's a Friday night, you know, you're like 12. What was oh, the spot you were asking your parents to go? So to? I grew up in a small town there was not a lot of choices, right? And so we'd normally go get like Chinese food or we'd go get like Mexican food or there would be a time where we'd hit up like a chain spot, right? Like when my brother was 12, rest in peace to my brother, when my brother was 12, he had like three and a half years on me. He would would be like, oh, like, let's go to Sizzler. I want the all-you-can-eat shrimp thing right and like yeah. i'd go to the salad bar and be like oh i'm gonna get all this buffet stuff right but for the most part it was like very small small town stuff i'd be like oh let me go get an enchilada plate from like the mexican spot what was your spot Pete? The, the nearest takeout spot i grew up in little rock california which is as small as it sounds and so the nearest like legit takeout spot was about 25 30 minutes away so literally like <laughs> getting mcdonald's for dinner on a when you're a kid on like that was a treat that was a like special occasion how about i'm hoping you had more choices than than we did oh dude look i grew up in in suburban minneapolis uh which at the time was nothing but chains you know you didn't even have you didn't have a great local mexican joint okay Uh, right right let's just put it like that and now they've got everything there and i'm so jealous i'm like so the spot that we so pizza hut was a big thing because they would have the uh, they would have the the free oh, yeah. like breadsticks and desserts, uh, breadsticks and then uh, what were they called? They were like the dessert <laughs> sure. sticks or something or dessert pizza or something. They had at the time, so it was the buffet. So you paid and you, you know you and it was cheap. Then there was a spot, um, Fuddruckers, where the whole family could uh-huh. eat like fifteen bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, kids got the free game token and the free cookie. And then uh, there's a place no, no. called Champs. You guys ever been to a Champs? No, no. Okay. So it's it's basically, it's like an Americana type thing, but you know, like it kind of like an Applebee's probably. Um, but yeah, those would be, those would be the spots, man. It'd just be rotating between the chains. So we, we didn't have, we didn't have the best uh, totally. options as, so, as there are now. It's funny, but no, when you're a kid, like any time awesome you got to kid, go out you know? as like a kid, right? Because it's just like a lot of, and God bless my mom. She was a very good, good cook. And my dad was great on the grill. But you, you know, it's just like, oh, like meatloaf tonight, right? And, and so like, oh, like spaghetti, right? So all of those weeknight 
Like, okay, it's like we're hitting the same notes pretty much every week. And so Eddie... Oh yeah. Yeah. So anytime like you got to go out, us, it yeah. was it was great. If it was fast food, it was great. If it was the pizza joint, it was great. There would definitely be some times, Mike, where it would be like a weekday, midday, and it's just like, oh, we're gonna go to Chuck E. Cheese, like, and get a pizza, and then like, oh, you're gonna let me run around and play some skee ball and like jump in the ball pit. It's like those were the real days, right? Um, anyways, back to my stuff about KCP. So this sociology class, it was just like, oh, you go to this restaurant, everything's great. But then you you have bad service one time. And the idea was that it would literally, that bad service, that one time, even though you've been going to this place, it knocks your idea back of them. And it's going to take eight or nine or 10 more times of, of like where it was before, or even at a higher level than what it was before for you to get that feeling back of trust for that player. And KCP sort of reminds me of that right now. Like he was a player going into last season at like going into the beginning of last season that I thought, you know, we all had our question marks about him like how much could we trust him and i think his play throughout the playoffs really sort of erased all of that doubt and i think slowly but surely this season that idea of reliability has been chipped away at enough where now it's not so much that we doubt him entirely but some of those question marks are back right pete yeah he's i i guess the the thing about it with me is like he's capable of some really deep funks and due to the construction of the team and due to Wes's off and on and he had a he was one of the few guys who played well and and really competed in the game against New Orleans but I would love to not I would love for KCP's best which we saw not too long ago to be when he has it we go to it. He's the starter, right, and all that. But if he's in one of those funks, I would love to have an uh, an option that we can go to that can you shoot want him the to ball be a that has some degree and not a of gravity. And I didn't. Right. That's right. That's right. Am I? Uh, is that a reasonable position? Do you think, Mike? So after the game last night, KCP spoke, and it it's it's tricky to speak to somebody who's in a a slump, right, of a, a shooting slump, because you you know in the way that you want to be respectful in a way of asking questions because who wants to hear hey hey Darius uh and you this let's say let's just in a pretend world let's say that you really sucked on the last pretend. three podcasts you just weren't yourself and then we come on we come on just pretend obviously I mean obviously we're pretending because that doesn't happen and Pete Pete's kind of he's like so um or, or, or you get a, a Twitter mailbag right and someone's like Darius um hey I just noticed you know your your opinions I don't know if they were they were quite up to what they usually are. Is there, like how do you ask that, right? And you're because you can sense it in the tone of the question, let alone whatever the words are. And so that's the the trick in this kind of situation. What I try to tend to do is to is to be a little bit more brief in those types of questions and just let the player just say, hey, what like how do you feel about your game right now? Like what's going on with your game right now? And in his answer at the moment is just look, I he said I feel I feel great, I feel good, and he doesn't but he's not playing it the same way that he was even to start the season, which carried over from the bubble. 
and and that almost for me, as you, as you guys mentioned, that recency bias can be really informative in this case. There was a part of me that thought, oh, OK, it's it's fully clicked in for him, what he is on this roster and what, what he is with this team. But to Pete's point, there has been some regression there. And now what do they do about that? Well, I think that what we learned and we discussed this a bit last time, Frank Vogel is going to stick by him. He's going to keep bringing confidence. He's going to keep he's going to say, say uh, keep shooting. And that worked last year. So, Pete, the thing that while I don't disagree with what you're saying is, hey, it'd be great to have this option where if he doesn't have it on a night where they really have to win, they can just go to that. That seems to be contrary to Vogel's style. And I, I would be surprised, honestly, if that changed at all, unless it got to a point where they were really about to lose a series. And, you know, he got to it's like the game six. Hey, Caruso, you're in. Uh, and, and that was, again, they could just go small there. So my if there's a personnel answer, though, I could suggest to you. And I think we've learned that it, some nights it can be Wes Matthews, like last night when he's but a lot of nights it's not. But Kuzma, to me is more of the if you have to have a guy you can you can get away with playing him in that position you're going to lose a little bit defensively certainly defending point guards but Schroeder's in there for that now which you didn't have last year and Kuz is going to have gravity Kuz is going to take those shots it'd be a bit of an adjustment for him to sort of the positions on the floor but in that's to me is is like the best option that you have pending some move or pending some buyout pending some trade signing if you just know you're not getting it in a key moment from KCP yeah if I don't know, you know, what's available. Like if, if we could make a deal for somebody at this point, that would be great. That can kind of check those boxes. But I do think that the buyout market is a, a better place for yeah, that. I do think that wants, like, everybody wants a three and D wing that can, can reliably shoot threes, right? Like it's not in defense. It's not going to, you know, the guy's not out there. Honestly, man, I would take a guy who is just a sniper and has holes in other aspects of his game. That's the type of guy I, I'd expect on the buyout market. Um, I think we've got a lot of D. I think we need a little more three. It's tricky, and it's because of one of the things that Mike just mentioned, which is trust, yeah. right? And trust is established over a long period of time. Um, and even, and I don't even want to make it seem like a season, but the whole condensed nature of of this season almost equates itself to or promotes mm. the idea of mm-hmm. dance with the devil you know, right? And 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 so, so... It's one of the reasons why I think earlier during this season, some of the stuff that we saw was like, yeah, Trez, guess what? Like, you're not you're not going to close a game basically ever. And before the All-Star break uh, in those sort of there was that sequence of games where at one point they played the Wizards and then like a few games later, they played the Suns and Vogel had sort of talked about Trez's skill set against specific matchups and it ended up being like okay well then when is he going to play and that because he didn't close against the he didn't close against the wizards because robin lopez was giving him problems and then he frank sort of didn't find as much time for him as we would have liked against a small ball suns team when they went small and closed with Saric, right and it was sort of just like okay well if he's not gonna play against Saric. Uh, like a Sarge type of player and he's not going to play against a Robin Lopez type type of player. It's like the, um, like, Oh, j- like he needs to be like the, like the, the, like the Goldilocks, right? Like the just right matchup for you. Like where's the just right matchup, like right in the middle for you. Right. Trez. But I feel like Trez has sort of grown out of that 
lately, some of it by necessity because of the lack of, of big man depth, but he's just per, been performing well against all types of players. And I think that he's starting to earn or has earned more trust from Vogel in that way. When you go back to last season, I think sure. that Frank had a lot of trust in Danny Green. He had a lot of trust in Rajon Rondo. He developed a lot of trust in Alex Caruso. And then he had obviously trust in LeBron and Avery Bradley. And then KCP, he had trust in him too. And so there were a lot of guys I feel like that Frank could always turn to and feel like, hey, I got it going here. Who was one of the first players this season to fall out of the rotation? THT, right? And he fell out of the rotation in favor of Wes Matthews. Then who was the next player to fall out of the rotation? It was Wes Matthews and Markeith Morris, right? Now, Keith, I think some of that was definitely play-related on him not being up to the level that he had shown the previous season. And clearly, Keith has been playing better lately. But I thought it was sort of telling that Wes did not have sort of that same level of trust that like a Danny Green had earned through the preseason and the early part of the season last year. And so that idea of trust, Mike, I think that that does play a part into back into KCP because Frank does trust him. That trust comes from his entire body of work under him last season and through a championship run. And so the idea of bringing in a new player who is going to supplant KCP seems like I don't know if that would happen at all under any circumstances if KCP is on the roster. And so here, the point that this is now going to be my <clears throat> traditional zoom out point now d dealing with KCP specifically. And if you're just watching these last couple games and even the Pelicans game specifically, all of the stuff that we're, that we're talking about and man, is there a more reliable shooting option? Like I get all that, but let's, let's try to remember that at an opportune or even just a normal time, KCP is going to flourish when he's playing next to LeBron and AD. That's what he's there for. He's the wing to he's supposed to sprint up and down the floor to elongate the floor, which opens up that running lane to an extent for AD, uh, which opens up things for LeBron. And he's going to be there because not only LeBron, as we've seen in the last month, a lot of the open shots that he's going to get are because AD is there, too. And the defense is damn sure not going to help off one of those two. And that just is going to create better and more shots. So K the KCP's struggles to me are more of a function of LeBron and AD not being out. And it just goes to show you what ridiculous immense value that the stars have in the NBA and KCP's value gets eliminated some when those guys are out of the picture, because guess what? You stick with them. You don't give them those free looks. You run with them in transition. He's not going to beat you off the dribble on uh, against a, a plus defense. So that's where I think the patience has to come in. And that's why Frank Vogel has been such a good leader throughout this season and that's where in last season as well. And like, that's, I think what, what's important. So let's not evaluate KCP so much when he's not playing in the circumstances that are the reason why the Lakers signed him. The one bit of pushback I'd give to that is that his struggles are not new and he was struggling while LeBron and while LeBron and AD were both playing as well. Now, he has built up a certain amount of capital with with me that there's no way that a regular season could erase in its entirety. I'm a big believer that 
every round of basketball in the playoffs is a higher level of the basketball. And even the first round, of course, is a higher level of basketball than the regular season. And not every player is at a point where they're capable of playing in every round. An example of that is Kyle Kuzma, for example. I, I think that Kuz was fantastic in the first two rounds of the playoffs, struggled a bit against Denver, struggled to get a bit, especially defensively, against Miami, where he kind of hit and he grew so much last season. And I think he's at a point this year where he can be Kyle Kuzma throughout the playoffs. But what you see happen in the playoffs is guys who you trusted all year long, like they just can't quite hang at that level of basketball once it gets better and better and better guys drop off and the fact that kcp was able to be kcp and nobody else and yes around lebron and around ad in the highest levels of basketball is why like he's not a person that we should give up on easily by any means if i push back to your pushback does that make it an argument uh yeah let's do it we don't argue okay kcp was not struggling when they were fully healthy and the whole team was hooking through, you, you already shot in January, 46% from three. Like he was still flowing. He was still playing defense. Once February hit, the whole team got tired and the whole team stopped playing well. It wasn't just KCP. Then AD went out uh, on, he missed uh, he missed one of the early games. I can't remember which one it was, uh, but then the Denver game, of course, is when he had the re-injury. And then since then has been other than the, the Washington game where KCP hit the four threes, and I guess the game before that against Miami at three threes, he's that's really when it started to, to, to hit for him. So I would argue that when the Lakers were playing basically normal Lakers basketball, uh, that, that, that first month and a half of the, of the season, he was playing pretty well. He was doing the things that he's used to doing. Once that, once that system stopped a mix of the whole team fatigue plus AD, that's when he started to struggle. So like, what more do we need to see the entire playoff run, the entire first two months of the season, um, isn't isn't that a larger sample size than what you're talking about? But it, it it wasn't the first two months of the season. It was the first month of the season. He had a great game in Milwaukee, and he had stunk since then. And That's not true. That was the game against he since since the Milwaukee game. He's, well, the, end of, the, the last this, week this of January he struggled. Yes, I'm looking at the game log right now. But then the first week right of February, and the, and the, he, he was a little better. I mean, this is what he did in the first part of February. In it was a uh, just. Just sure, sure points, right? 11, 10, then 4, 8, 4, 3, 7, 7, 9. That's what, uh, eight straight? Well, yeah, he averages nine points a game. Like, that's what he's going to do. He's, right. he's, all he's doing is shooting the occasional three. Like, that's his, that's his role. But over the course of it, so that game against Milwaukee, right, he was fantastic to start the season, was on the 21st of January. Season started on the 22nd of December. So he had a great first month of the season. That road trip, yeah. That road trip, he started to struggle. Yeah. Right. And since then, that was two months ago. It's when we're recording, it's what, the 22nd today? Um, 24th, right, 24th today. Gosh, look at me, two days behind. Uh, It's That's two months. That's two months. And the games where KCP plays well are by far the exception to the rule over the last two months. So he started to lose it, his like swerve first on that road trip. And he was he was kind of one of the dominoes. But again, remember, there are only so many of these guys that went the full season last year and that weren't Kuzma or Caruso's age. And KCP falls right in the mix of that. And then the five game homestand, Pete where they just eked out overtime win after overtime win. That's what I'm talking about, where the whole team was just like, okay, that like it, you just, it was a different Lakers team. And so if you want me to give you the week before that, that he fatigued and kind of stopped playing well, 
um, in, which basically means he's not quite as focused. He's not running quite as much in transition. He's not quite as eager to, to take threes. Yes, I'll grant you that. I'm just telling you that I know why that was happening. And, and, like, and it's very obvious that the, uh, that the situation that he's in needs to be opportune like it was when he was successful and that those circumstances have not existed since early January or mid January. So just one last point on, on this, it's not just the scoring or the shooting. There's a certain degree of like mental engagement that KCP is fast and KCP mixes it up when KCP is right. Right. And whether his shots falling or not, he can contribute in certain ways. And of course the fatigue and all of that, my, my question is now, you're talking to somebody who watched Robert Ori's regular seasons <laughs> compared to his playoffs. And maybe KCP is that type of guy. I've also seen guys, especially in these having the shortest turnaround of any professional team of all time with as much as KCP runs in it. And like, he looks burned out to me, or at least I have suspicions that like he's pinged on my radar on, on that end a couple of times. Like it's not a matter of like, he, of course he's got, a ton of heart. He plays heart. He's not somebody whose uh, engagement and give a crap level I I question. It's a but. There's also a guy that it, there's also a possibility that he has kind of like at the end of his his rope from a fatigue standpoint, right? And that's what I'm concerned about is can he get it back? And that that's just the the one thing that keeps sticking with me with him. No, no, no that, I was just. The fatigue element is absolutely fair. And that's what he has told us himself, right? That he is tired. So, and, right. It's not like a blame yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, what's wrong with no, KCP? Sure. Do better. For right? sure. like, but I don't, I just don't think that you, I, I, I think that this is less my opinion than gathered what Vogel and sort of his teammates are saying. Like, they're, they're going to give him the sure. benefit of the doubt to, to break out of some of that fatigue. And I think what does that is the natural build up to the postseason. And the natural same thing with Anthony Davis, who was not playing at peak Anthony Davis. I think that a couple guys on the team, not LeBron, because LeBron is, you know, LeBron. He's a complete, unique individual there. But mentally, there are a couple guys, and I think that includes KCP at the forefront. Uh, and then, as I've just mentioned, AD, a couple guys just need the stakes to go up some. And once that happens, then we'll see things, we'll see them play differently. And Pete, if once that happens, and nothing changes or evolves, then I'm I'm willing to completely redouble that conversation, right? And and see where where things go. But they have to make decisions now. I think we're on the same page ultimately. In that, uh, like you know, there's the trade deadline tomorrow. I'm not looking to make any big move, but I would like if KCP can't get back there, some sort of plan B in that can fill the role. We're not going to find anybody that can do it at the level that he can when he's at his best, but somebody who, if he just can't get it back, can sort of do some of the same things. D, I'd love to hear your perspective on this. No. So I think that both of you guys are right. And I don't actually lean in any given direction. I'm putting myself in Rob Polinka's shoes right now. So we're talking a lot about Frank Vogel and the players on the team and trust and sort of the idea of like, we're going to continue to believe in this guy. And like, I get that 1000%, right? And that's as it should be. In the end, it's Rob Palinka with a bunch of consultation from everyone. And you two could have literally been the two angels on both of his shoulders right now, talking about the idea of like, what do we need to do? 
with this roster because believe me, the idea of, hey, when the stakes get up, or when we start to ramp up and really focus in, KCP is going to be better. That's perfectly valid point and assumption. The flip side is, is sort of like what Pete was talking about, right? Which is the idea of, man, this team had 70 days between last season and this season. And the downturn in play, as much as you want to, con- as much as we can contextualize it around like, some fatigue early on, but then an incomplete roster, especially with AD out, and then now LeBron and AD, the slotting of KCP no longer works within the construct of this specific roster, and we need to give him time under the new roster, right? But the thing that lingers over all of that is the fatigue part, and will he actually get get it back? Or is fatigue just one of those things that, like, maybe KCP needs two weeks off maybe he needs like a month off right like that's something that ad is going to get in terms of his body and and that's something that lebron is going to get in terms of his body now on it now granted they're nursing injuries and, and going through treatment and trying to get their bodies back but there is a certain amount of oh like every day i don't need to be out on the court and sprinting right or every other day i just tweeted out that this stretch the Lakers are going to have three sets of three games and four nights that's going to conclude in at the end of this weekend, right? And it, it started on March 15th, and it's going to end on the 28th, right? Over that 13 days, they're going to play nine games, right? And those nine games are all three game sets in four nights with a day off in between each, each of those. That's a brutal stretch, for all of these guys and the Lakers are going to be looking at trying to accomplish something in that with a severely hurt roster, right? No LeBron, no AD. Even when Gasol gets back, is he going to be able to play 25 or 28 minutes a night? I would doubt that. Like if he does, that's great. But the likelihood of that happening to me seems fairly low. And so the idea of Rob Palinka in the lab right now over the next 20, 24 hours, can I do anything to help this team in the short and potentially the long term when it comes to salary structure and all of this stuff, stuff that we haven't even gotten into within the context of, of this trade deadline. The, the idea that Alex Cruz is a free agent, that Taylor Horton Tucker's um, going, going to be a restricted free agent, that Dennis Schroeder is there currently in negotiations or talking about a contract extension, and he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. Trez is going to have an opt out. There are big picture team building things that need to be considered yeah, great point. by noon on Thursday that are also a part of this conversation while also trying to build out a team that you hope can repeat as NBA champions. And when you look at a guy like KCP or you look up and down the roster at a guy like Wes Matthews or were we actually getting enough from, from Gasol? Do we need something there? And what – and the calculus of measuring that against what what will potentially potentially be available on the buyout market. There are so many variables at play here. And it's one of the reasons why, as much as I love to play armchair GM and send <laughs> you guys fake trades that we'll never discuss on uh, the podcast, 
one of the reasons why I would love to do that, but never actually sit in that chair because the decision making around all of this stuff is hard, man. And the people who run this team relate to these players as people. They relate to them as human beings and they see them as part of their Lakers family. But the big picture is also like, all right, how can we build a winner in Los Angeles for for yeah. the Lakers and chase that next banner? And it's a complicated discussion, man. And, and so, look, I want the best for KCP, but it's also the flip side of like, all right, man, like sooner or later, we need to see it again. I'll just try to be real concise with, with my thought here. So usually teams that win the championship are given the chance to defend it. And the Lakers already brought in four new pieces. Yeah. Okay. And so the few that we're talking about, and, and I think KCP has earned the benefit of the doubt to, to like going into the postseason. I don't think that that's the place where you make a move. Can you improve the roster on the margins? Can you add an option? Which I think Pete is what I don't think Pete, you were advocating for like, Oh, get KCP out of here. You were just saying, Hey, is there another option? If <laughs> he's not able to get it back, totally fair. Rob Palenka may be uh, just generally looking at the roster and they do have those two spots. Darius, as you mentioned, it gets complicated with the hard cap and all that, but they have people for that. Right. So I think you try to add what you can, but I, I don't, I don't know if you disrupt the core any more than, uh, than what it is at, at this moment. I, I think ultimately, uh, you know, discussions aside, we're all in a similar place yeah. and mindset in that respect. I remember Kobe had a quote about Palenka along the lines of Rob has a plan for everything A to Z. And we've seen that in its execution when uh, when we didn't get Kawhi and the free agent market had seemingly dried up everywhere else. He was still able to get guys that fit exactly what we were trying to do. That's really difficult. Right. And, and uh, so plan B, plan C and everywhere in between, I expect him to be prepared for whatever contingency pops up. So uh, got the trade deadline on, on Thursday, got a game on Thursday against Philly as well um, in, in this very interesting stretch in Lakerland right now between the short term and the long term. So uh, we'll see how it, how it goes down. If there's a major trade, of course, we'll be there to discuss it. Uh, if not, we'll be back on Friday either way. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Ainge has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Here by McLaughlin. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Good. Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. with his eighth block. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Ready pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, two one. Miss it. Unbelievable. For the It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. 
Trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.